0: This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this episode, I have the double pleasure of having two guests join me in the studio today, Elaine Chacon Brown and Stuart Spencer. Now, Elaine Chacon Brown serves as the American specialist at JancisRobinson.com, which is pretty impressive. She's a contributing writer for Wine and Spirits Magazine, including Fine Wine, Decanter, Rob Report, San Francisco Magazine, and Noble Rot. It goes on and on and on. I'm just absolutely blown away. She's also contributed to the recent multi-award winning fourth edition of the Oxford Companion to Wine, as well as the upcoming eighth edition of the World Atlas of Wine. And I love her blog's name. I'm going to ask her about it when we get into the interview. Waka Waka Wine Reviews. So, it's really a, a great pleasure to have Elaine joining us, as well as... Stuart Spencer is the executive director of Lodi Wine Grape Commission. He has worked with the commission for over 20 years. Stuart's led many of the marketing, promotional, educational efforts for the Lodi wine grape industry. He's played a very key role in developing the Lodi Wine and Visitor Center, which I hope to visit myself, Lodi Rules for Sustainable Wine Growing, and I love this one, LOCA. LOCA. That's very cool. LOCA advertising campaign for the newly updated 2020 marketing campaign. He's also a grape grower himself, has his own winery in Lodi, and we are going to just jump right into this. Thank you both for being here. This Thank is you. really great. My pleasure. So, Elaine, I'm going to start with you because I understand you're in town doing a master class for Lodi Wines. Is, do I have that right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we spent actually this morning really digging into the wines of Lodi, talking about the history, the growing conditions, what really makes the region unique, we were able to look at twelve different wines, really get at the heart of Zinfandel from Lodi, which is one of its signature varieties, and then look at a, a host of different reds and whites as well. Whites as well. Yeah, whites as well. I actually think one of the most exciting things coming out of Lodi is really refreshing, delicious whites.
0: Was that surprising to you when you jumped into the region to find out that there were these refreshing whites?
1: I think a lot of people associate a place like Lodi with reds or or even bigger bodied reds. but actually, there is such a coastal influence in Lodi that, you know, it's it's inland, but it's directly in this kind of wind funnel that comes across the delta and really cools everything down. And so actually you can find a lot of really refreshing wines, both reds and whites.
0: A little surprising. I think to most listeners that would be surprising because we usually think of Lodi as just hot.
1: Yeah, because it's, inland, hot. because it's inland, people assume it's hot. But actually there's this really powerful water system that goes all the way to Sacramento, and Lodi's right in the that channel that gets cooled down by delta breezes.
0: So, Stuart, I grew up in California, and Lodi was always kind of—I won't say the redheaded stepchild—but we didn't really think of Lodi. It was, it's sort of the uh, Napa and Sonoma. God love them, right? It's kind of sucked all the air out of the room when it when we started thinking about premium wines. That's not the case. You know, people should be looking at Lodi a little bit more closely these days.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we used to always say Lodi is the industry's best kept secret, and uh, it's been growing grapes for 150 plus years. There's a tremendous spirit of innovation going on there right now, and you're seeing more interesting wines coming from the area with each and every passing vintage.
0: What's an example? What do you, What do you think are some of the more interesting wines coming out of that region?
2: Well, besides the Old Vines Zinfandels, which we'll, I think we'll talk about in a little bit, I mean, you've got this incredible diversity of over 120 varieties being commercially grown, everything from Albariño and Aglianico to wow. Toraldigo and Zweitgalt and Tempranillo and Nero de Avila, uh, You name a whole list of varieties, and there's a lot of experimentation going on with those now, and they're making very delicious wines.
0: I want to try the Aglianico. That's, that would be cool. I think that'd be kind of fun. Now, again, you're you're here with this master class. Who was who attending the class? Was it trade? Was it?
2: Yeah, it's mostly trade, media, songs, those that are involved in the business
1: of wine.
0: Elaine, what do you hope that the participants take away from what you were trying to communicate with them today?
1: Well, to be honest, I wanted to change their life. Okay. You know, I know it's supposed to be a wine seminar. Wow. I know it's supposed to be a wine seminar, spoken, but let's spoken be real. like a
0: philosophy professor. <laughs> well, I used to be one.
1: And we're going to talk about wine, but we're also going to talk about wine in a way that's like, what gets you excited? What? How does it actually work? Where did it really come from? Who are the people behind it? Why is this region worth looking at? You know, and the thing that's really great is people actually stayed more than an hour after. They just wanted to hang wow. out, keep talking. They were excited, really happy. I think that's what, you know, great wine and good conversation does. It gets people happy and excited.
0: I agree. And the thing about great wine is it can come from anywhere and some places where you really least expect it. And I'm very excited about the initiatives uh, in Lodi with the new marketing campaign and the new branding. And I understand, is there a, a tasting room that's coming online or is online in Lodi?
2: Well, I think you're referring to our Lodi Wine Visitor Center, which yes. actually we've had for twenty years and, and uh it's a regional tasting center where all the wines from the area are featured for the guests so they can come in and get a little taste of what the area has to offer before they kind of go out and explore on their own.
0: And you really come at this from a very different angle, Stuart, than Elaine does. Elaine, you have a very academic background. You've come from, as we mentioned just now, a philosophy professor. Stuart, you've gotten your hands dirty for a very long time, having your own vineyard. You've grown up riding a tractor, probably pruning vines and, and getting dirty. So I'm just kind of curious, from your perspective, what do you see going on right now in Lodi that's that's really exciting you?
2: Uh, yeah, I, and I've, I've spent nearly my whole life working for free for my family. So <laughs> it gives you lots of good on-the-ground experience. I think what... You got to understand is even though we've been growing grapes for back to the 1850s, the, the small kind of artisan wine movement that's making wines really of a place and, and of load, I really didn't begin until the mid-90s. And has just really started to accelerate through the 2000s. And so we're just coming into our own now and still kind of discovering what we do best and how to best craft the wines from our area. And that gets it makes me really excited because every day I... I go to work, there's a new wine, a new producer, something new coming from the area that is is better than it was the year before. And, and it makes it a lot easier to go out and tell the story of Lodi when you have that to back it up.
0: And speaking of backing up, let's back up to an, something that was mentioned earlier. You talked about old vines. And I know that having, I just came from, back from California where I participated in the Zinfandel Advocates and Producers SAP conference. And I understand that there are vines in Lodi that actually are still bearing fruit over a hundred years old.
2: Yeah. In fact, two of them that we have in front of us, one's from 1885 and the other one's from 1901 vineyards.
0: Wow. They don't look a day over a hundred. It's amazing. And these are, I assume, old head-trained vines that are probably impossible to pick and probably backbreaking labor, as we say.
2: Yeah, I mean they're not so difficult to pick as as much as it is just a hand hand labor. I mean, there you have to do every part of the process via hand and it can't be mechanized. And so that alone makes them, you know, under threat because of the economic conditions that exist and the lack of labor and the cost of labor. So uh, old vines are are few and far between in California.
0: Elaine, I'm going to ask you an academic question. Obviously, there's been this long history of low lodi. What happened? I know at one point Lodi was very important in the California wine industry. And then was it prohibition or what happened where we kind of went from this peak of Lodi really producing wonderful and, and very popular fruit to this reemergence, if you will, of of Lodi wine? I'm kind of curious, what is the history that is bringing us back to today?
1: Well, Lodi's can continued to be important through that whole history. Lodi actually was among the first in the state to plant kind of the newest varieties all the way back in the 1860s. So Zinfandel actually arrived in Lodi in the 1860s, if you can believe it, along with about 20 other varieties. And Lodi really led the charge in planting kind of new, interesting things and getting winemaking going at that point. And continued to make wine, and then prohibition hit, and the market shifted from winemaking to grape growing because it was still legal for people to make home wine, right. but not really for wineries to make commercial wine to sell. And so Lodi started growing grapes to sell in boxes to the East Coast mainly so that people could make their own wine with the grapes from Lodi.
0: Alicante Boucher, I believe, was, was a pretty popular. one of them,
1: yeah. Right. And uh, some Petit Syrah, some Carignan, and Zinfandel, all mm-hmm. from that time period. Mm-hmm. And then after Prohibition, it shifted to a co-op market. So growers who had established their vineyards during that um, fruit-selling Prohibition era they started kind of combining their fruit and making wine through one large facility, a few different large facilities. And then uh, in the 70s, kind of individual wineries started showing up in Lodi. But So Lodi's had a presence that whole time. And really, I think of Lodi as the backbone of California wine history, but people don't turn around and look at their own spine. Right. So it's always been there. It's always played this really important, substantial role. But now we're starting to talk about it more again, which is great because the history of Lodi really speaks through the wines that we see today too, because it's a lot of multi-generational family farmers, family Mm -hmm. owned farms, and a lot of people, they're, you know, fifth generation growers and they, you know, restarted a family winery in the nineties and are selling wine now. And so there's, there's a lot of really genuine family stories to be told from Lodi as well, which it's, it's really nice to get back to talking about.
0: And I heard several of those stories last week. When, when I was at the conference, and it was absolutely remarkable to hear how these families just kept doing this for five generations. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very excited about this. I'm really, I, you can see me smiling. But uh, the other thing I learned um, during this conference, you just mentioned Alicante Boucher, and you mentioned Carrigan, and you mentioned uh, Petit Syrah. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that a lot of wines being made now in Lodi are traditional field blends, I was really very interested in, in hearing about that.
1: Yeah, so the field blend tradition goes all the way back to the 1800s as well. And people all over the world, actually, so in, in Europe as well, people at that time period, they would rarely, if ever, plant a single variety. They would plant a vineyard that had a pre- predominance of one variety. So in California, that tended to be Zinfandel. But then they would also plant in you know twenty twenty five. Percent of all these other varieties, too. And so that mix, Alicante Boucher, Carignan, and Petit were sort of the most common. But you'd get a lot of other varieties kind of dotted around in there, too. It was a great insurance policy for vintage variation. You know, if it was a warmer year, Carignan handled it well. If it was a cooler year, Alicante Boucher did. And it also just kind of helped fill out the wine. So it was just a little more interesting, a little more detailed.
0: I think there's a lot going on in Lodi. And I'm going to, Stuart, I'm going to throw this back over to you. Evidently, there's a brand new brand identity marketing going on here. I know that you're intimately involved in that. Tell me, um, what's the inspiration behind it? What are, you, what are you looking to get out of this?
2: Well, I think at, at its core, we wanted to go back to our values as a community. And we wanted an identity and we wanted a story that reflects the people in the place of Lodi. And so we came up with this this basically this X, which X marks the spot for Lodi. Oh. But it, it, it symbolizes the intersection of all the physical and human elements coming together to make Lodi a perfect place for growing wine grapes. And so as we move forward, for us, it's really about telling these stories that haven't been told of the growers and the community and connecting with people all through uh, the business and across the world that enjoy wine.
0: How are you telling those stories? How are you getting those stories across to consumers?
2: Well some of it is going on the road like we're doing right now, but we've also created this this new campaign we're working on, which is, it's actually an illustrative campaign. So we've created illustrations of the individual growers and in, in the place, and then we're writing short little stories that go with it to tell the story. And so those will be pushed out through you know, Instagram and Facebook and social media and, and some print advertising, and then it'll be integrated into a lot of our on-the-road presentations as we're taking our vintners out on the road and connecting directly with consumers and stuff like that. I
0: love that. That's great. Because I'll tell you, I am one of those people, I get wine goggles. I fall in love with the wine once I meet the winemaker because there's now a connection or, or the family farmer. Mm-hmm. And you build these connections through wine that you really don't see in pretty much any other beverage.
1: No, it's true because wine just suddenly transports you there. You know, and it's, you to a taste place taste the and wine a time. and you suddenly remember everything about that dinner you had with the winemaker or that, you know, the first time you had it with your friend, you know, or a walk through the vineyard or winery. It's really special that way.
0: And people are always saying to me, what's the best wine you've ever had? And I'll say, I'll let you know because to me, I've had so many great wines, but I don't know if the wines were great or the memories I associate with those wines are great. So I'm very excited that you're getting Lodi out of Lodi if you will, and on the road so that people can experience this. Because I think that it's going to be incredibly meaningful. And I did notice that, I think this is part of the branding effort, that Lodi is the Zinfandel capital of the world?
2: Yeah, that's our self-proclaimed title. But um, when over 40% of California's Zinfandel was based in Lodi, we have more acres of old own-rooted vines than any other part of California. And uh, it's been the foundation of California's Zinfandel going back for quite some time. And so it is a place where Zinfandel is very important to our local community and our history.
0: So a lot of people probably don't know what own-rooted means. Could one of you speak to that? What own-rooted?
1: You just stick the plant straight into the ground and it starts to grow.
0: As opposed to... And it
1: forms its own roots versus what a lot of um, orchard crops and... Nut trees and vines usually are grafted so that you have a hardier rootstock. So you have a a, rootstock and then you graft
0: a particular vine onto the rootstock. Yeah,
1: so you have the fruiting top. You know, orange trees are done this way all the time. It's how we get bigger fruit, sustainable tree. You know, so you put it on a rootstock that more readily draws up water and nutrients, and then you put the fruiting top on. So you do this with vines as well. But in Lodi, most of the vines are actually on their own roots rather than being grafted. The old vines.
0: The old vines. The old vines. And these dry farmed, or are they irrigated, or a combination of...
2: combination? Some of them are are still dry farmed. Um, You know, back in the the 1800s, when some of these vineyards were established, they were dry farming them at that point. And... now, you know, some of the old vines have underground drip irrigation in place. Some of them are still furrow irrigated. Um, it, just, it just varies across the region.
0: The studio smells amazing. and <laughs> I want to get to these wines. But I have one last question before we jump into this. You are one of the most notable and prolific wine writers in the United States. You constantly lecture. You give seminars. You write and write and write. And here you are excited about Lodi. Why? What's got you uh, so excited about? Lodi? I'm 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 trying not to be like, hey, why are you, you know doing this? But you are genuinely a national treasure of wine, and to have you here in the studio talking about Lodi, I think is wonderful. And I just want to know what excites you about it. No,
1: thank it. you. I no, I really appreciate that. I honestly like Lodi is a genuine place. You know, like the the truth is, the world today is hyper polished and really shiny. And we smooth out all the edges and remove all the imperfections and lose a lot of the interest by doing that, I think. And I, ju- I think people today are really hungry for a real connection and a real place and a real, like real people. And Lodi is full of real people who have been farming for generations. The children are happily continuing on that tradition many of them going out and getting an education or some other kind of experience and then quickly coming back because they realize they want to raise their families there. So there's just this sense of deep roots and real commitment and honest people trying to make a go in the same way their their grandparents and great-grandparents even have been doing it. And so to see that and to be welcomed into the community and trusted with people's personal histories and stories really means a lot to me. You know, I And then the idea that I can, I'm then trusted to share some of those stories and, and to like help transport people by showing a wine and then talking about who made it. That's really exciting to me. And it, it, it means something to me.
0: Stuart, I've got a new tagline for you. Lodi is genuine because that's just what you described. It's just a place where people are genuine. The wines are genuine. I'm, I'm excited about this. Now we've come to the portion of our podcast where we actually get to try the wines. Got the cork open, and tell me what we've got in front of us. We have, I see we have three wines, and I assume we're starting on the left.
1: Yes, with, let's start white. Let's so start we've white. we've got Oak Farm Albariño.
0: Oh, I love Albariño.
1: In Lodi. In Lodi. So what's Albarino. really cool about this, Albariño is traditionally from northwestern coastal Spain, Galicia. Yes. So it's traditionally seen as a very coastal, high-acid white wine. But Lodi, like I said earlier, actually has a profound coastal uh, influence because of where it's located in the Delta region. It's this really special opportunity to get all that freshness, all that refreshing quality and with beautiful, savory fruit character wow. at the same time.
0: That's delicious. That's beautiful. And the acidity just hits you right in the middle.
1: Makes mouth water. It really does. Yeah.
0: I'm going to need to take the rest of the afternoon off <laughs> and get a hammock. This is a beautiful wine. It's got that great acidity right in the middle. It really opens up the palate. Got a lot of orchard fruit in there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which just is gorgeous.
1: But, but it's kind of it, crunchy, earthy, yeah, fresh, it's got a little bit of mineral saline. In there. Yeah. yeah,
0: you do. And then it's, it's. I assume this doesn't see any oak.
1: Yeah, stainless steel.
0: Yeah, right. stainless steel mm-hmm. because it's just, it's clean. Mm-hmm. This is just super clean.
1: Yeah, really fresh, refreshing.
0: Yeah, you need to go get a plate of oysters or something mm-hmm. for us. This is just a a lovely wine. And um, what is the wine that we're drinking? Can you tell me?
2: Yeah, it's the um, Oak Farm 2018 Lodi Albarino.
0: Mm. Brilliant. Really, just that's brilliant. And um, was that served in your class today?
1: Yeah, so we showed that in the class today. But the other thing about this wine, it's actually in national distribution. You can actually find it around the country.
0: Where do the people in attendance... As blown away by this. This is one of their favorites. I wines. really am just blown away by that wine.
1: I think it's a great surprise. It gets at what we were talking about earlier about Lodi's surprising. It You can find fresh, refreshing wines there, and it's that it's that white wine quality we were talking about earlier, too.
0: I'm, I'm going to correct you. I don't think it's surprising. I think it's shocking <laughs> how good that wine is. Yeah. Tons, it,
1: tons it, of flavor, it, but lots of drive, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is one of the things people— the biggest surprise people come away with after visiting Lodi is the quality of the white wines and how fresh and refreshing they are.
0: Yeah. I don't, you know, it's funny. i again, don't always associate Lodi with a wine that refreshing, but I will now. That's a, that's a beautiful wine. All right. Wine number two, we're moving into reds.
2: Yes. The wine number two is the, the Michael David, um, ancient vine since so. Uh, from the Bechtold Vineyard, which is a unique vineyard in and of itself. It's an own-rooted Sinso vineyard planted in
1: 1885. Oldest Sinso in the world. In the world. In the world.
0: Is in Lodi.
2: Is in Lodi.
0: From the Bechtold Vineyard.
1: He, what's even
2: more uh, uh, wow. mystery, too, is up until about 2004, they didn't even know it was Sinso, and it was being sold as a variety called Black Malvasia, and... Uh, and being packed and shipped around the country for basically home winemaking. And and uh, they discovered that this was actually sinso
1: in Lodi. And uh, it made really good wine. It well, makes and, really good wine. Well, and we didn't even know we could really have Sinso in California at the time, too. People were looking for Sinso, having a hard time finding it. And then here's this, you know, well-established ancient vineyard.
0: Can you take a, just a moment and tell people what Sinso is? I, it might be of a, a grape varietal that people aren't totally familiar with?
1: Yeah, so Cinso is this really pretty, slightly floral aromatic, mid-weight red wine. So it tends to be a little lighter, not light, but a little lighter, nice freshness, really aromatic. And it originates from Southern Rhone in France.
0: Right, I always associate it with a blending wine. Yeah, absolutely. A blending grape.
1: Yeah, so getting a fully varietal Cinso wine like this is unique, and it's unique to California.
0: I'm not sure I've ever had 100%... Sinso.
1: Yeah, if you if you look to France, you're going to always find Sinso in a blend. Right. So to get Lodi Sinso 100% and really yeah. get to see what the variety is is pretty cool.
0: Wow. Very, it, first of all, it's delicious. I love the aromatics on this wine, getting a little bit of rose petals, some earth in there, and then the flavors just are kind of this luscious cherry that just, for me, pops
2: right out on the front.
1: Yeah, and just a little bit creamy, just a it hint. It is. Yeah.
2: Does it see oak at all? This one does, but it, it, it's very neutral. Though. Okay.
1: Yeah, so they're using older barrels. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so that it's not flavoring the wine, really.
0: Yeah, it doesn't taste like my Chateauneuf de Pops, which no, is not very, a bad thing, by no, the way. yeah. No, which absolutely. is not a bad thing. Yeah, so, and those,
1: of course, are blend. Right. You know, they have a hint of yep. sin so, but not much. And so here we're really getting to see the heart of the grape.
0: Thank you. That's a great uh, – great. and can you just remind me again what was the wine?
2: It's the Michael David uh, – since so uh, Michael David Winery. since
0: and what's the vintage on 28. that 28 2017 okay fantastic all right take take me home with this third and beautiful wine okay wow so that's just jumping out of the cl- I don't even know what it is I'm drinking so we de-
1: we decided we had to embarrass Stuart a little bit okay because I'm actually showing his wine oh and the truth is he wasn't planning on bringing his wine we said no no you're going to bring your wine. So this is Stewart's wine. It's actually Santa Mont Winery, A M A N T Santa Mont, and this is a Marion's Vineyard Zinfandel. So this this was head trained own root Zinfandel planted in 1901 in Lodi. It's considered the mother of Zinfandel because it's it's this mm-hmm. genuinely old, beautifully healthy, wonderful vineyard. And in my mind, this is like as classic Lodi Zin as you can get.
0: I think it's intense. That's the word. I mean, it is just concentrated and beautiful and packed with just gobs of what I would consider a dead center of the bell curve Zinfandel.
1: Well, and really juicy, mouth-watering, savory. Savory. Lots of flavor, but still pretty modest in size and body, which is a nice combo to me.
0: Stuart, just out of curiosity, how many uh, tons per acre are you even getting out of this vineyard?
1: So we source these
2: grapes we we work with the the Moore fry family that's been farming it and we've been working with it from uh 1996 and the yields vary anywhere from about 1.8 tons to upwards of a little over four ton to the acre okay which is quite remarkable to think you have a 120 year old vineyard that can still yield four ton to the acre can't believe that but um it you know that's why this vineyard is still there and, you know, it needs to be economically viable for mm-hmm. the growers and us. And, and uh, in 2018, which is what we're tasting right now, we actually had to go through and thin the crop back, and it was still like 3.8 ton to the acre.
0: On ancient vines, yeah. you you had to thin. I, Wow, I've never heard of that.
1: The other thing That's about awesome. about this wine that I really love, the Morphi family, they're a beautiful example mm-hmm. of a multi-generational family. They've been committed to Lodi all the way back. Um the, you know, the new generation is is part of the business and they've been tending to this vineyard since its inception. So you have that on the vineyard side, you know, multi-generational family. And then with the winery, Santa um, as Stuart mentioned, they have been working with it since the late 90s, but they were also the first to bottle it on its own and really show the vineyard character itself. Before that, it was getting blended in with other sites.
0: Oh, wow. I'm and glad so, you're doing it.
1: Yeah. So Stuart and his family, Stuart's a second-generation winemaker, So, again, multi-generational family. You know, I get to talk about him in front of him because I get to tell him all the stuff he wouldn't tell, you know. Uh, And so Santa Monica is a multi-generational winery. And actually, Stuart and his father, they were the first to bottle Marion's on its own and really show what does the vineyard itself taste like.
0: It's delicious. I'm just picking up so much of that dark blueberry, almost like a blueberry compote in the mid-palate. It's just Beautiful. And then you do get some of the savory notes coming in on the backside, some, uh, a little bit of crushed pepper and just uh, dried herbs. It's fantastic, Stuart, really. It's a, it's a delicious wine. And I know that you're a second generation, but I read in your bio that you have two beautiful daughters and they know they're going to be the third gen.
2: They're still trying to figure that out, but... I, as I figured they'll go off and get a real job and realize coming back and making wine is probably a lot better than most other jobs out there. So we're still holding out hope.
0: Oh, good. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. This was absolutely delightful. If one of you wouldn't just uh, remind our listeners if you just run through and what are the wines that we just tried?
2: So we've got the, uh, the first wine was the Oak Farm 2018 Albarino. Uh, the second wine was the 2017 Michael David winery, Ancient Vines Since So. And the third wine is the 2018 St. Amant Marion's Vineyard Old Vines Zinfandel. Fantastic.
0: And I, if you could leave our listeners with one important message, each of you, what would it be about Lodi?
2: Well, mine would be, go find Lodi. Go find a bottle of Lodi wine or come to Lodi. We'd be happy to have you.
1: Absolutely. And you know what we said, Lodi is genuine and Lodi is also delicious.
0: Well, thank you both very much for being here. It's yeah, been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Really fun thank to be you. You here. Thanks for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP News Podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week segments every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com.